This teaching is from City Church Coventry. You can find us online at www.citychurchcoventry.org. Last time I was scheduled to speak, as I said earlier, we ended up actually just hearing what it was that God had been saying to different people and, and that. And we've been talking about building the house. Building the house. When John came and shared 1 Corinthians 14, 26, it says that each one may be built up. And one of the things you find in the, in the scripture, it works both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that um, this idea of building this kind of physical building and the idea of kind of building someone up are much more closely related in the scripture. And if we turn to Psalm 127, I just want to kind of explain that a little bit more and hopefully it will help us understand some of the, 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 the pictures and the metaphors in the scripture and how we can lay hold of them and have them help us be built up to become all that God intends us to do. So I've got, I wanted an NIV today, so I've got my big print NIV, which is lovely, but the pages are not, the pages don't like separating, so sometimes it takes me a little while to find things. Psalm 127, you'll, you'll know this psalm, I'm sure. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand and watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late toiling for food to eat for he grants sleep to those he loves children are a heritage from the lord offspring are a reward from him i'd just like to say i have four i'm obviously done something very special no i don't i don't think i don't think the numbers actually is the is the thing but uh, isn't that work that's an important way to view your kids though they're a reward they're a reward Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Even more blessed is the man who knows when his quiver is full. And, <laughs> and they will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Okay, I, I really just want the first verse. But I, I, I like, you know, with the scripture, it was written, it was written, tells me here by Solomon. And he wrote the whole thing, so we'll read the whole thing. But I want to just pick up on this. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. We've been talking about building the house. And house in the scripture speaks both of a building and of family. And the way that those two come together in the English language is the word household. Okay? And this is a psalm, so it's Old Testament. It's written in Hebrew. But in the New Testament, the word for household or house or family is oikos. Oikos. Would you like to speak some Greek with me this morning? After three, everyone say oikos. One, two, three. There you go. It just sounds nice. I like, I like the sound of that word. Um, but it helps us understand that how the, the ideas around building a house and the ideas around building the church and building our own lives and building into our families are all related because they're all ways of thinking of oikos of a house even your own body you are individually as well as corporately a temple of the holy spirit yeah jesus talks about the man the wise man who built his house upon the rock his house in that instance was his own life 
Okay, so he's using that image there. So you can apply it individually, you can apply it to your family, you can apply it to the community, and actually you can apply it to the whole purpose of God. Because one of the ways of understanding all that God is doing in the world between now and when Jesus returns is he is building a house for his glory. He's building a temple that is you and me, and it's made out of living stones. So, so the image works at all those levels. And the principles work in all of them. And uh, we're going to land on some a little bit more than others this morning. Um, but but you, can, you can feel free that it's a very biblical thing to do is to take all these ideas and apply them at those different, at those different levels. You don't need to go, well, is this talking about the church or is this talking about an individual? Or is this using a metaphor from building a, you know, from, from building a four-bed semi-detached? No, you can take it all and apply it however the Holy Spirit gives you his... Uh, Impetus. Okay, next one. Matthew sixteen eighteen. Matthew sixteen eighteen. Jesus says, in response to Peter's confession of you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God, and he says, Blessed are you, Simon Peter, because um, Simon Barjona, because this has not been revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father. And then he says this and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. On this rock, what rock? The revelation, but the revelation embodied in a man. Yeah, it's very difficult to get away from thinking that he was talking directly about Peter. Because from that moment on, he changed his name from Simon to Peter. Which means in Greek, rocky. (laughs) Balboa. No, um, yeah, rock. He calls him rock. Because of the revelation he had of who Jesus was. And he says this is a foundational revelation. And we later understand apostles in this, in this wonderful image that God gives us. In this wonderful mystery of God's house being built. Apostles like Peter become part of the foundation that others build upon. So it's both. By the way. I find more and more, the more I read the Bible, the more I read scriptures that can be taken two ways. I'm learning that God's intention isn't either or, but it's both and. Yeah. If you can find two biblical, you know, two things that are coherent and tie up with, with, with the rest of what the Bible says and two different interpretations, it's usually because God intends both of them. Yeah. The coincidences of scripture are intentional. The ambiguities of scripture are intentional. Um, I remember, um, I think it was when we were doing a 514 uh, a while ago about women, men, leadership and ministry. And Carissa said, well, what do you think in this passage? Does the, does, is it talking about husband and wife or man and woman? And it's like, yeah, because, you know, to translate into English, we have to take the same Greek words and, and either translate them as husband or as man and as wife or as woman. But I think God deliberately chose to communicate his word through a language where you don't dif- distinguish between those two words to show us that something of the mystery of how he sees marriage and how he sees men and women. Now, it might make our heads hurt and make us scratch our heads, but we don't go, oh, isn't it a shame that God used an inferior language? Because all languages are inferior to English, obviously. Um, and uh, why, you know, why, why could he not have just uh, communicated in English? No, he did it the way he did it deliberately. And sometimes if that makes us scratch our head then scratch your head but let the holy spirit bring some some fresh insight to it rather than going oh i wish that i wish that it said one or the other yeah but he says on this rock i will build my church on what the revelation but also the man that has the revelation he's building 
And you know what? There's, when we talk about building the house, when we talk about building our own houses, there's a great temptation, isn't there, to build our house our way. Yeah? One of the things, when we moved house, we briefly looked at the idea of, of actually getting a house built and designed. I think we probably will do it one day. I think we'd still like to do that, wouldn't we, Ruthie, one day? But it, was, it wasn't the time at this point, and we just needed something much simpler. And there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of attraction to this idea of, I can, I can build it exactly how I want to build it, because then it's exactly what I need, and it's exactly what I want. Do you know that's a very disastrous way to build your life as a believer, to build the house that's exactly what you want? It's a really disastrous way to do church. <laughs> yeah? Let's, let's build the church that is going to be exactly what everyone wants, exactly what everyone thinks they need, exactly what everyone's going to be most attracted to. Let's preach a message that is, you know, just the kind of thing that everyone wants to hear. I've, I've, I can't remember who said it first. I'm not sure I know who said it first. But they said, if, uh, if you worship a God who never says anything you disagree with, you're not worshipping God at all. You're actually worshipping yourself. <laughs> yeah. If everything God says, if everything that comes from his word, if everything that comes from a pulpit, if everything that comes in a prophetic word and an exhortation is, is exactly what you would like to hear. Because this side, this side of Jesus coming back, none of us are perfect. None of us have attained all this. Paul says, I haven't attained all this, but I press on. If everything is, if everything is exactly what you want to hear and nothing is, there's nothing you disagree with, then the chances are you're actually... You've, you've, found, you've found a way of, of, of worshipping yourself and creating God in your image, whereas God's purpose is the entire other way around of that, which is to bring us in conformity to the image of his son. And, and you know, there's a lot of corners to be knocked off to do that. There's a lot of corners to be knocked off. I know, I know I've still got a lot of corners to be knocked off. I know God has joined, has joined, me, has joined me with a wife who's very good at knocking the corners off in a loving and gentle manner. But you know, that's, you know, and I hope you have friends that knock the corners off you. Yeah? I hope you, I hope you don't just hang out with people that just say the things you want to hear or that you, you make sure that you maintain your relationships at such a level that there's so much on the surface that nothing really of any consequence ever is said or done. What does the scripture say? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. David says to Jonathan, he says, if there's any wrong in me, kill me. Because I'd rather be killed by a friend than face the judgment of God and be killed in battle by an enemy. I don't want, I don't want to die at the hands of an enemy. If there's something wrong in me, kill me. I'm not saying that, by the way. <laughs> but if there's something wrong in me, challenge me. Confront me, correct me. Please leave all weapons securely somewhere else there's a great temptation to build the church our way but we would be laboring in vain that means we would ultimately achieve nothing unless the lord builds the house they that labor labor in vain it may look great it may look wonderful but it will not make a single dent on eternity and the reality is that we have been called to make a difference in eternity even in the time that we live right now and if you turn to Ephesians 2, something that, uh, 
sometimes, uh, sometimes I get into conversations and, and people say, you know, why do you, why do you do church the way you do it? Why do you, um, I can't, I can't, I was speaking to the pastor of a, of a church the other day. Uh, and I said, well, you know, and the way he was, he was talking, I thought, I, I, I kind of need to probably clarify something. I said, I, I'm not the pastor of City Church. Um, and and kind of you then get these funny looks. Because in most people's paradigm, they would look and say, well, you're obviously the pastor. No, I'm not, I'm not the pastor. Uh, one of the reasons is that, that we're utterly convinced that churches aren't supposed to have a pastor. Okay, there is no pattern anywhere in the New Testament of one man leading a church okay that is not a pattern we're given it's not anything that you can draw from the theology of the new testament it's not there now equally sometimes if i meet someone and they don't know jesus and they say what do you do i say oh i'm the pastor of a church <laughs> because i'm not going to have a theological debate with them <laughs> I want, to, I want to have a conversation with them. And in their head, they go, and they get something quite close to what I do, and that's fine, and that's a great way to talk. I remember one time when, um, uh, a few years ago, and Balade and, and Nikki's dad came to, I think, to either deliver something to our house or drop something up off, and, uh, and, and Nikki's dad said, oh, thank you, Pastor. And I said, you're very welcome. And Balade said to me, if I'd have called you Pastor... <laughs> It's not so much the names, it's, it's that there's a pattern here of how we should build. There's a pattern in the word as to how we should build. And it's not just around things like that, but, but actually, it, it, that, that's, that is a really important one. It's particularly important for those that are leading the church. It's really important to know there is no one person where the buck stops other than Jesus. I, I don't say this to be facetious, although it can sound it, but when people say, who leads your church? I, my, my, I think my best answer is the Holy Spirit. Because in the scripture, what we think of as leadership in modern context, that is, this person that has the vision and the ideas and works out how it's going to be done and gives everyone their job. When I read the New Testament, that's the Holy Spirit. Okay? And then God gives us elders yeah, to oversee and to bring the rule of God into a church. And, you know, rule, rule when it relates to the kingdom of God is 5% constraint and 95% empowerment, I believe. I believe that's what it should be. Yeah? I would say that rule and authority in the church is 5% constraint. That's telling you what not to do or stopping you do something that's going to get you in trouble. And 95% release or empowerment. That's how authority, I believe, and the rule of elders should be exercised in the church. Yes, we will come and we will step in and say, don't do that, it's going to get you into trouble. It is a pastoring role. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers, Paul says in Acts 20, so care for the sheep. It's a pastoring role. But, you know, most, very little of what a shepherd does is to keep the sheep from getting into trouble or go and rescue them when they get into trouble. Most of what they do is what Jesus says. Lead you beside still waters and in green pastures. Yeah? And brings you to a place where you can flourish. That's, that's, how, that's how the authority of elders is supposed to be, I believe, 
released in the church because God has a way of empowering and giving authority in order we can all do what Jesus says. When he says, all, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore, go. He doesn't say, therefore, stop doing this, 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 and this. Yeah? He says, therefore, go. He doesn't say, therefore, don't. He says, therefore, do. Okay? That's, 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 what, it's, that's what it's about. But there's a pattern. There's a way of doing things. There's a, there's a, there's a way that the house is being built. And... Um, in Ephesians 2.20, we find out what the purpose of that is. So let's go from 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. You are members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being dwelt together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. So God has a goal in building his house and his goal in building his house is that his Holy Spirit has a home on the earth, has a place where he can be found, has a place where God is moving and is in action and is bringing in his kingdom. Paul gets back to this same idea at the end of the next chapter, at chapter 3. He says, to him, be glory in Christ Jesus and in the church, or the other way around, glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, through all generations, forever and ever. He wants, God wants his glory to be seen on the earth. That's what he's building his house for. A place where his glory is seen, a place where his presence is found. But in the wisdom of God, the time that he made this, this representation of his household, this representation of his temple, which is also his family, you are members of the household and you are stones in the house. It's the same idea. What, this is the first time he did it in a way that it was possible for this house of God to be all over the earth at all times. In the, time of Sol, in the time of Moses, they could, they could move the tabernacle from place to place, but it could only ever be one place at a time. In the time of Solomon, they built a temple and it couldn't be moved. And, and there was this only one place where you could guarantee that you would go and meet with God. And then Jesus came and he was, the first, he was another embodiment, if you like, of a portable temple. What does he say? He says, destroy this temple in three days and I will rebuild it. But he was talking about his own body. But then he said, I'm going to... I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to send you another comforter and he's going to come. And he's going to live in you. And he is going to make you personal, mobile, multiple places of encounter with God. And that's what the church is. Individually and corporately, we are a house where God is building us together. He is building us up. And as he builds us up, he's building us together to become a place where God lives by his spirit. And then in Ephesians, uh, so we talked about Ephesians 3.21, but then in Ephesians 4.11, it says this in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. We've switched images now. We've gone to the image of the body. Until we all reach the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And again, this is why, why, do, we, why do we major on the importance of apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers? 
because they are given by God in order to bring the body to maturity, in order to complete the task, in order to finish the work. And what does it say they do? It doesn't say they kind of sit there in offices. It doesn't say that they, that they kind of are the pinnacle of some kind of pyramid structure or organizational flowchart. It says they equip the saints for works of service. And um, when I was gonna, last time when I was going to speak, I was going to actually talk about the Ascension Gift Ministries. We sometimes call them the fivefold ministry, Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Pastor, and Teacher. I didn't have opportunity to do that, but when, when Kerry came, he covered that really well. So I'm just going to touch on this right now. But, but this is, here's the important thing. It's not to say, oh, our church has apostles, our church has prophets. What's important is that you are being equipped, challenged, stirred, provoked, um, And ultimately, liberated to do the work that we're all called to do. You know, in this building the house, remember where we started. God stirred up the spirits of the people and they arose and built. He stirred up the spirits. And are you feeling a stirring? We come this morning and John comes and brings a word again that says, you've got to play your part. There is something in you to build up the body. Are you, are you feeling a stirring inside? I don't want, I, I, love that we're a, I love that we're a welcoming church. I love that, that people can come in and can come and meet with God. But I don't ever want us to be a comfortable church. Yeah? I don't want to be a comfortable place for people to come who's, who really have no intention of living a life of extending the kingdom of God. Who really have no intention of, of, of seeing their place in the world. As, as part of God's answer, as, as ambassadors of Christ, of, of people who are, a, who are a walking, living, breathing encounter with God. Because that's what you are. You are a walking, living, breathing encounter with God. And in 1 Corinthians 3, let's turn here. Again, now Paul is talking specifically about the church and specifically about the, or, or at least using as, a, as an example, the church in Corinth. And he's talked about, he's talking about the role of, of apostles in particular. But there's some, there's some wider lessons we can draw from this. 1 Corinthians 3.10 By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise master builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should, be, should build with care or should be careful how they build. For no one can lay any foundation other than that which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light and it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though as only one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? And we can read this and we can go, all oh, those apostles, they better take care, haven't they? You know, make sure they build right. But it's not just that, that you, you, you can take this down into your own life. How are you building in your own life? Are you building a life that genuinely says there is no other foundation than Jesus Christ? Are you building on the only foundation? And this is a question I want to ask you. And I want you to examine yourself and think about this and talk about it at home 
Talk about it with your friends. Talk about it with your husband, with your wife. And ask this question. If you took Jesus away from any part of your life, would it fall over? Would it fall over? Because if you take a foundation away, a building falls over. And if your answer is, if I took Jesus away from this part of my life, it would carry on pretty much how it is, then that part of your life is not built on the foundation of Jesus. It's built on something else. Human, wisdom, your own individual effort, habit, cultural norms, the ways of this world. It may look good, it may, it may appear to serve a function, but it's not going to get you where God wants to get you. It's not going to achieve anything for his purpose. And if you can look at your life and say, if I took Jesus out of that situation, it wouldn't look any different. <laughs> it's time to knock it down and build it again. This time building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. When we say build on the foundation, Jesus says, well, this is how you build on the foundation. When you hear my words, you put them into practice. He has something to say about that area of your life. <laughs> he has something in his word to say about that area of your life. It's not difficult. If you need some help, we've got lots of people who know the word of God well enough to be able to help you. <laughs> and you say, you know, in this area of my life, what, is the, what does God say about this? What does Jesus say about this? How do I build in a way that is going to glorify God? And ultimately, how do I build in a way that means that my life is a place where God dwells by his spirit so that the world around me can know that this is a place to encounter God? God God's intention is that anyone who meets you meets him. That's his intention. Anyone that meets you meets him. And if your, if your life is built in such a way that it's designed to contain his presence, not that God can be contained, but you know what I mean. <laughs> if it's designed to carry his presence, you will find it much more easy, much easier to step into those opportunities that come and be the place of encounter for someone with Jesus. This is why it's so important that we talk about how we build the house, whether it's the house of our lives, the house of our homes, or the house of the church. Because there's a really, really vital purpose that God has in, in, in building the right way. It's because when we build the right way, we create a space and we create a place where God dwells by his spirit. We create a place where his glory is seen. We create a place of encounter. We create opportunities for reconciliation because we've been reconciled and given a ministry of reconciliation to make an appeal to others to say, be reconciled to God. To say, I can come with us and we will do you good. Come with us and we will show you. I have words of eternal life. Here's a prayer I pray often. I've prayed this prayer before I've met with some of you. I often pray this prayer. I pray, Lord, give me words of eternal life. You know, people can't go away from words of eternal life. Jesus, one time he said to the crowds, I think he was probably just getting a bit fed up with how many crowds there were and how much hassle he was getting. And so he thought, I know what I'll do. I'll put them off. So he turns to them and says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And virtually everyone went, don't want to hang around here anymore. Let's go and see what, you know, Rabbi Benjamin has got to say. <laughs> and everyone left apart from 12 disciples. And Jesus said to them, are you going to go as well? And I think it was Peter. He says, Lord, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, you don't have to gross people out in order to test whether they want to hear the words of eternal life. But just pray, Lord, give me words of life. Give me words of life.
Sometimes you'll go into it, you, you might meet someone, there's a, a terrible situation, somebody that's in, in, in a terrible place of grief or, or, or something, you know, really horrendous has worked. You think, there can be a pressure to think, I need to go in and solve it. Um, I, 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 I would suggest you don't even try to do that because <laughs> I doubt very much that you will be able to do that. But you know what you can do? You can bring words of life. And you know what words of life do when they go in and they, they take root and they grow? They grow. And they produce the fruit of eternal life. Every one of you can speak words of life into even the most troubled situation. But let me just leave you with that idea. If you took away Jesus from any part of your life, would that part fall over? Okay, turn with me, final scripture, 1 Peter 4, uh, sorry, 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 10. Okay, I'm going to read this and then I'm going to ask Marie to come and share what, uh, what the Holy Spirit say. So you, saw, you, you may have saw the scene during the worship, Marie came and she was kind of telling me that God said this, God said this, God said this, God said this. And, uh, and then she didn't come and share it, okay? Now, that wasn't because it wasn't a very good contribution to the meeting, didn't meet the standard, you know, it fell below the, you know, the six out of ten on the spirituality scale. No, it was, I was listening, I was getting very excited, and I, when she finished, I said, that's exactly what I want to talk about, one of the things in, in, when I'm speaking this morning, so come and bring it then. And, uh, and I believe it's going to add something that I couldn't have done as well. 1 Peter 2, 4 to 10, as you come to him... The living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, see, I lay in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey, disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. I think, think something like that came in one of the words earlier, didn't it? That you may, may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Marie, just come and share what you've got. So God was speaking to me about the both and of his grace. So at the beginning, um, Matt kind of just reminded us and encouraged us in the fact that when we come before God, he sees us as Jesus and we can come before him in worship and not have to think about, oh, I've done this, I've done that, I can't come. No, we can come before him and worship him. But the both and of grace, the other side of grace is that grace actually empowers us not to sin. There's actually something that grace can do, which actually um, lifts us from that place. And um, so God spoke to me through shabby chic furniture and if you don't know what shabby chic furniture is it's it's where you actually intentionally <coughs> distress a piece of 
um, furniture. So you'll paint it and then you'll sand away bits to make it actually look like it's old and it's kind of a bit beaten up and there's actually imperfections there. You'll purposely put in imperfections because then it kind of overall, once it's done, it looks really nice. And he spoke to me through that, that in our lives sometimes we can actually allow imperfections and sin to remain there or we might actually kind of intentionally bring them into our lives because we want to look more desirable and relatable and relevant to the world and we're actually very happy for them to stay there and comfortable for them to stay there because we want the world to see us as relevant but the thing is that's not what God wants for us he's actually the master carpenter and he can come in, he can sand out those bits, he can repaint it, he can buff it, he can shine it to make it look perfect again. But that's only through his empowering Holy Spirit and grace that can allow us to do that. So it's about asking him, where are those areas in my life that I actually think I'm keeping this here because I want to look cool to the world. I want to look relevant to the world. I want them to see this in me and be like, oh, yeah, well, that Christian, I can get I can understand them. I relate to them. But actually, God wants us to be be like Jesus, that not only does he see us like Jesus because of what Jesus has done, but that actually we can live lives like Jesus because he will empower us to do that. Thank you, Marie. Did you hear what God was saying? Yeah, so there's a temptation, isn't there? A subtle temptation to kind of live in a certain way because it makes us look authentic and relatable to the world. But that's not what God's desire is. It says, what does it say here? You are, you come to him, let me read this, a holy priesthood. Holy priesthood. Um, it says somewhere early in the book of Acts that about the church. It says everyone held them in high esteem and was afraid to join them. Everyone held them in high esteem and was afraid to join them. There was something about the holiness that rested on the early church that made people think more than twice about whether they would join them. But the very next line says, but the Lord added to their number daily. So there was, there was, people were really counting the cost because holiness is both attractive and scary to the world but you know it didn't cause Jesus any problems well I mean it did actually cause him quite a lot of problems that's not true Jesus didn't have any problem living that way let me put it that way <laughs> how do we build on this foundation I think Adam's probably downstairs with the with the kids now with the youth but when Adam came and shared and he shared about, you know, go, you know, are you going to go thousands of miles to Israel to meet, you know, to be where, where God was? But actually, he's right here and he prayed for us, didn't he? Do you know what it means to be a holy priesthood, particularly in this context of the house that's being built out of living stones? It, it means that wherever you are becomes holy. Wherever you are becomes a place of encounter. Am I continually, it says, as you come to him... As you come to him, the living stone. So let's just try and draw a few practical conclusions before we go. How do we build on the foundation? How do we live these holy lives? How do we become that place where God is encountered in the world? And the first one I would take us here is that we have to continually come to him. Continually come to Jesus. Is that the trajectory of your life? 
that your walk with Jesus is deeper and closer and more unswerving? Are you putting the work in? Are you putting the time in? Um, and and I'm, not, I'm not talking about... Um, being unrealistic or, or kind of like, you know, saying, you've, you know, give up, your, give up your job and go and live in a cave or sit on top of a pole for two years or, or whatever it is that kind of, you know, holy people do. Um, I'm, I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about do you, do you deliberately break out of the routine and the ways of this world and establish the rhythms of the grace of God and of, of a life that cultivates an ever-deepening relationship with Jesus? Do you take him for granted? Or do you take the freedom that we have and the free access we have and get everything out of it that you can? The next thing I want us to realize here is says, as you come to him, the living stone, you too, as living stones. You are a living stone just like Jesus is. So there's a comparison being made here for you. And the New Testament does this again and again. And this is a challenge about how you think about yourself. Do I think of myself of being of the same stuff as Jesus? Because you are. Yeah, you will. You are not and you never will become God. But he in this world came as a living stone, which became the cornerstone and the foundation around which God is building everything that he is doing in this world. And he says he's the living stone. If you want to see what a living stone looks like, read the Gospels. And he's the living stone, but you come to him as a living stone. And he's the one that you're being joined to. He's the one that you're being built on. Remember again, 1 John four seventeen. as he is... So are we in this world. And let me help you think about how you adjust your opinion of yourself to make it more like how God sees you. Do you see yourself as being like Jesus in this world? Or do you, do you first, when you look at yourself, look at all the things that you lack? Do you look and think, well, if only I had this, this and this. Yeah, the Lord holds back no good thing from those that he loves. Elizabeth Elliot, who was married to Jim Elliot, who they were missionaries in, uh, in um, South America in the 50s. And Jim Elliot was martyred for preaching the gospel there among a tribe of indigenous people who later all came to Christ. But Elizabeth Elliot, I read a quote from her. I think I've shared it with you before. She said, if God has promised me all that I need, if I don't have it, I don't need it. Yeah, if God has promised me all that I need, if I don't have it, I don't need it. Well, that's a powerful way to shift our thinking. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. You know, we put it in the oldie language, I shall not want. Don't know about you, when I was a kid, I used to think he was the shepherd I didn't want. It doesn't mean that. The Lord's my shepherd. I lack nothing. If he's my shepherd, I lack nothing. If he's promised to give me all I need, if I don't have it, I don't need it. Okay? You may well, it may well be something that you're going to need in the very near future. <laughs> you know, it's not that you're wrong about the need for this thing. But right now, if he's not giving it to you, you don't need it. We do not live in a place of lack. Do you see yourself as a victim? Try not to spend too much time on, on Christian social media. 
I mean, amongst you guys, I'm sure it's wonderful. But, um, you know, there's, 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 there's a, I, I believe it's a spirit of deception at work in much of the church to present the church as being victims and under, under attack. Um, and seeing themselves that way. Whereas what does the Bible say? Peter says, don't be surprised when you suffer for righteousness. It's because you're doing the right thing. He doesn't say go and campaign to try and change the laws. He doesn't say, you know, go and hold a protest. He doesn't say kind of, you know, get on social media and whinge about it and stand up for your rights and find all kinds of ways of resisting and, and all that kind of stuff. No, he says just, you know, if you suffer, know this, the spirit of glory rests on you. You know, the Apostle Paul once said a very, very... I, I think the Apostle Paul said some things. That if, if, if someone preached them here on a Sunday morning and it, and it wasn't already in the Bible, we'd have some problems with it. But he says, in my body, I make up the suffering that was lacking in Christ. You think, Paul, surely you're not suggesting there was something lacking in Christ's suffering on the cross. And of course, in... In one sense, there was, there was no suffering in, in, in Christ's atoning work. In terms of what he did to pay the price for our sin, there was nothing lacking. But that's not the only thing that suffering does. Suffering didn't, isn't only about Christ paying the debt for sin. Suffering is also part of how you get to glory, how you get through the process of glorification and to maturity. And, you know... That's what, I think that's what Paul is talking about. Because when you, talk, when you look at his sufferings, he lists them, you know, shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, put in prison, all this kind of stuff, abandoned. All of it was to do what? Was to bring the church to maturity. Was to bring the church to this goal of being the, the house where God's glory is seen. And he said, look, if we're going to get there, it's going to be tough. There's going to be some suffering. He says, and, and you know, I've got it, I have it in my body. I carry it in my body. I carry the experiences of that. But I'm happy to do that because I know it's about God ultimately producing this glorious people, this glorious house. And Peter says, don't be surprised if you suffer. And then he says, oh, and by the way, don't go out, you know, if you suffer for doing wrong, tough. You know, that's, that's just how life is. Don't think, there's any, don't think there's anything virtuous in that. But if you suffer for doing good, don't see yourself as a victim. You're already seated in heavenly places with Christ. Yeah? All things are under his feet and you sit on the same throne where all things are under his feet. Here's another way that you need to stop thinking about yourself. As a sinner. You were a sinner. You are now a saint. Who perhaps occasionally sins. But keeps such a short account of their sin. And has such a high view and appreciation of the work of Christ to forgive you, that you repent quickly and adjust your life and live in a way that that becomes something that is less and less part of your experience. You're not a sinner, you are a saint. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen? Doesn't deny that we sin. In fact, 1 John says, if anyone denies he sins, he's deceiving himself. It doesn't mean that we glory in it. Why? Because we are holy priests. Sin is not becoming, is, is, is an ugliness in our lives. And as a holy priest, everything I do, I do as a priest. That's the ministry of reconciliation. This is your full-time vocation. 
Your presence makes every place you go to holy. Your hands make all the work you do holy. Because our priesthood comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit with us, the work that Christ has done in us. And there isn't an on-off switch on that. It doesn't get switched off when you leave here on a Sunday. And then you kind of flick it back on again when you turn up to a midweek group. This is who you are. This is who you are permanently, like a living stone put in place. And now he says, and you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are holy priests to God. And then just to finish, three things that Peter says here about the stone, about Christ the cornerstone. This is how we can make Christ the cornerstone of our lives. First of all, in verse 5, he says you're building on the living stone. We've already talked about that. Building your life on Jesus. Allowing his words to shape how you build your life. Examining and saying, if I took Jesus out of this part of my life, this area of my life, would it fall down? And if the answer is no, it wouldn't, it would still stay up, then knock it down and build it again. Then he talks about trusting in the living stone. Whoever trusts in him will not be put to shame. Why would he say that? Because there are many, many times in life we come through and we think, there are some, there's a different way I can do this. There's another way I can get out of this situation. There's something I can do with myself. I can, there's, another, there's another way of approaching this. Trusting in Jesus seems like the hard option right now. I'm going to try something else. But Peter's saying to you, no, no you, you, you put your trust in him. Because whoever trusts in him will never be put to shame. It's a guarantee of success. And the final one is this. He says, now to you who believe this stone is precious. Treasure the living stone. Don't take for granted who Jesus is and all that he's done for you. And uh, my friends, I am so encouraged and excited about how God is challenging us and calling us to build. To build in our lives, to build in our families, to build as a church. To build as a church across this city and to be part of the house that he's building in the world. You are involved and engaged in the greatest mission there has ever been. In the greatest purpose there has ever been. You and I have the privilege of doing things in the here and now that make an impact on eternity. And uh, let's not take that for granted. Let's not lose sight of that. But let's be wholehearted. In how we do that, really examining ourselves, making a change and adjustment where we need to. Because I want this house, and I want this house, and I want this house to be full of his glory. And a place where God encounters the world and the world encounters God. And life after life after life is reconciled to Christ and joined into this wonderful family. Amen. Let's stand together and and pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the many ways that we've heard your voice this morning. Thank you for those across the body who have come and brought us your word and encouraged us and turned our attention and our eyes again to Jesus. Lord, we just take a moment now and just reflect on 
where those words have landed in our hearts, Holy Spirit, just take our attention back to those particular things. Because although you speak one word to us, we're all individuals and at different places. And we don't want to let your words fall to the ground. We want them to produce what you intend in our lives. And if something sits with you and you think, yeah, this is, this is where the Holy Spirit has been highlighting. This is the word that I need to work with. Just as a sign to the Lord, why don't you just lift, lift a hand to him as a sign of acknowledgement and surrender and saying, Lord, I'm, I'm acknowledging that your word has come to me and it's come to me for purpose. And then, Father, I pray, Lord, for each life now that's offered afresh to you. Lord, that you would send your Holy Spirit in a fresh way. Lord, we are all living sacrifices. and We don't want to kindle a fire, an earthly fire in these sacrifices. We want the heavenly fire to come and consume the sacrifice we offer to you in our lives. Lord, let your fire fall afresh. Let your spirit come afresh. Take the words that you've spoken and produce great fruit with them, Lord. Lord, let each of our lives be built in a more secure and substantial and powerful way. Lord, for those of us that feel like we've been kind of scratching around at the foundations, Lord, let this be a, let this be a season of acceleration. Lord, where it's like the, the journey has been accelerated. It's, it's the building process has been accelerated in our lives, Lord. Lord, that the house for your glory will become more and more seen. And the reality of your presence with us everywhere we go becomes our, our whole experience in our whole life, Lord. So Holy Spirit, we're here for you. We go in your empowering. We go in your name. We ask you to be with us in all that we do. Lord, let us lead people to you. Let us be a place of encounter, Lord God. Be glorified in our lives. Be glorified in our homes. Be glorified in your church. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this teaching from City Church Coventry. You can find more great teaching and other resources on our website at www.citychurchcoventry.org.